When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good Among us, I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Hello, folks, and welcome back to another eerie episode of your favorite paranormal podcast. As I just mentioned, my name is Derek Hayes, researcher, filmmaker, collector of stories, and host of this unusual broadcast. If you're a first time listener, you're in for a unique experience. Because each week, we share true paranormal stories from around the world. Stories detailing ghosts, ghouls, goblins, little green men, hairy beasts, and much, much more. And the kicker here is that each of these stories is 100% true, to the best of my knowledge. The stories submitted here have been done so, via our 24-7, toll-free hotline. Terrifying tales that you'll likely hear nowhere else creepy encounters like this one from Dan in California. Hey Derek, my name is Dan and I live in Palm Desert, California. I am a huge fan of Monsters Among Us. I am a Patreon supporter and I want to tell you a story about a mythological group of people in Hawaiian folklore and something that happened to me. They're called the Minahune and I've heard People talk about them on the show a couple times, but I will tell you what happened with me. I've seen a Minahune appear before my eyes in broad daylight with about seven or eight other people exploring nearby. So here's what happened. I was visiting Hawaii with my friend and fellow Monsters Among Us fan and Patreon supporter, Jennifer. And we were in Hawaii because we were starting to research doing a podcast about interesting things to do in Hawaii. And specifically, we were kind of more interested in exploring, you know, Hawaiian culture. So Jennifer researched and she found a small heiau ruin we could explore. Heiaus are old Hawaiian temples. Jennifer found one that was really easy to get to. In fact, believe it or not, it's behind a parking lot of a YMCA in Kailua. If you're ever on the island of Oahu, you should check it out. Everyone should check it out. It's called the Ulopo Heiau. It was abandoned in the 1780s, so obviously the place has a little history attached to it. Turns out some of that history is a connection to this mysterious group of dwarf people called the Minahune. The legend has it that Minahune were master builders. They would build these heiaus and fish ponds and roads and other structures. And the crazy part is a lot of these structures are still standing today and you can go and visit them and you can go see them. 
Now, legend has it that they would only come out at night and they would build each of these structures in one night and they'd never make themselves seen by others. So that's the part that really makes what I'm about to tell you so amazing. So we're exploring the grounds of this abandoned temple. And I started to look around kind of in a more secluded area in a small rocky area that was connected to a woods near the temple, not too far from everyone. I was still in eye shot of a bunch of people, but I was pretty much alone. And while I was exploring and looking around, I noticed a sense of peace and calm come over me. I, like, I was literally thinking like, man, I would like to stay here forever. It was just so beautiful. But then at that minute, I felt like the weird sense of being watched from behind. So I turned around and that's when I saw it. About 10 feet behind me, I saw a small person rising out of the ground. It was almost like he was on a little invisible elevator or something. I don't know how else to explain it. He was three feet tall. He was wearing a loincloth and he was holding a staff or a stick or maybe a spear. Now, I wasn't afraid. He didn't scare me and he didn't seem too freaked out by me or anything. We just literally stared at each other for a few seconds until my brain yelled at me and said, dude, what in the hell are you looking at? And I blinked and just that split second, he was gone. When I opened my eyes, he was totally gone. So I made my way back to Jen and I told her what I had just seen. She assumed it was a little kid playing in the woods. And I told her, no, this is not a little kid. I'm telling you. So I described what exact, you know, exactly what I saw. I said he was about three feet tall. He was super tan, but he was also hairy. Now, because Jen is a fan of Monsters Among Us, she's like, what do you mean hairy? Like Bigfoot hairy? And I was like, no, more like, I don't know, dude with a lot of extra body hair, hairy. But I told her he was wearing a loincloth that made her laugh. I remember telling her that I thought his nose looked weird. I told her I thought his nose looked like a pig nose. So right after I say that about the pig nose, Jen's eyes get really big and she just turned silent. And after a couple seconds, she goes, Dan, I think you've seen a Minahune. So Jennifer has always been interested in folklore and paranormal. Again, you know, the typical stuff all of us Monsters Among Us fans are into. So she had more than a passing interest and knowledge about the Minahune legend. I, on the other hand, never heard of the Minahune legend, so I didn't even know what she was talking about. But up until that point, she just assumed the Minahune were just like a kid's story. But she knows me. She knows I'm pretty sane. Uh, she knows that I don't make stuff up. So she started to believe me, too. So we ran back to that area and we just started to comb through every square inch. We were just trying to find any kind of trace of him. I mean, we explored the area where I saw him rise out of the ground. We couldn't find any openings or any logical way to even explain what I saw. But Derek, I know I saw it. All right. So. After I got home, I couldn't wait to tell this elderly Hawaiian couple that lived down the road from my place. I ran into the husband a few days later and I told him what happened and he listened intently. He had a big smile and his eyes started almost water a little bit and he was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew they were real. I knew they existed. Thanks for telling me. So that made me feel really good. The next day, however, I ran into his wife and she had a different response. I told her and she just rolled her eyes and said, it sounds like you and Jennifer must have hit the rum bar at the Royal Hawaiian Hotel. And she dismissed it and she just walked away. Now, truth be told, we did in fact hit the rum bar that night, but it was hours after I saw the Menahune. I promise you I was not drunk. It was just a great part of an amazing trip to an amazing group of islands. Now I want to share a follow-up. Exactly one year later, we went back to Hawaii and we decided to leave a small gift for the Minahune. We wanted to acknowledge their presence and just leave them something special. So what do you get a Minahune? It's not like you can go to Google and type, you know, gifts for Minahune near me, but 
Jen did some research and she found out that apparently Menahune like eating shrimp. So we went to a local Whole Foods and we asked a person in the seafood section what he thought a Menahune would like to eat. Because I literally said, hey, last time we were in Hawaii, I think I met a Menahune and his eyes got really big. And he's like, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. You're going to take this shrimp. You're going to go over to produce, get a banana. They love shrimp and bananas. Cut the banana up, mix it with the shrimp. Then I want you to go out in the wild and find a tea leaf plant and cut some of the leaves off. And you want to, he told us where to go find these tea leaf plants. He said, cut the leaves off, take the shrimp and banana mixture, nestle them inside of a bunch of leaves, kind of twist the leaves around and make a little pouch and tie it off with a long strand of grass and make a little gift and then just go put it back exactly where you saw this menahune rise out of the ground. So that is what we did. We went back to the heiau. I found the exact area and I put this little pouch down that we made and we left. And a couple of days later, it was time for us to fly back home. And I said, let's just swing off at the heiau and see if our offering is still there. And sure enough, it was gone. Now, I know that's not science. Maybe a bird took it. I don't know. It probably smelled like rotting shrimp. So who knows? Maybe any animal could have taken it. But I like to think my friend came back and enjoyed his shrimp and banana treat. And I, I don't know, I hope he thinks of me every once in a while as the guy he made himself visible to. But anyway, that's my story, Derek. I'm curious what you think of a Minahune. How would you classify them? They're not monsters. Just interested in your thoughts. Derek, thank you for a fantastic show. Thanks, Dan. Now, Dan, I think you're part of a rare group. I don't know that a lot of people these days can claim to have seen one of these legendary little people. And as Dan had mentioned, we've covered the Menehune in the past. Season 12, episode 20, to be precise. But essentially, they're a mysterious race of small humanoids that are said to inhabit the jungles of Hawaii. They come out only at night and are known as master builders. Very similar to what Dan has already shared with us. But if this mysterious legend is somehow new to you, here's some additional background as told by a Kauai museum curator via Finding Bigfoot of all places. The word Menehune comes from a word Manahuna, which is Tahitian for cast of commoners. The question is always asked, are they real stories? There's some evidence of that, um, the Alicoco or the Menehune River or the Menehune fish pond. A lot of these structures that was built by the Menehune, it seemed impossible. But when you hear how they worked together, they formed a long line from Alicoco to Machiavelli. It's about 25 miles. It passed one rock at a time. <laughs> you know, that's the story that we heard. Now, since there's yet to be a single Bigfoot sighting reported in the state of Hawaii, the Finding Bigfoot team decided to go after the Menehune instead. But, like I said, it seems that most people these days don't claim to have seen these mysterious little entities. Or if they do, most don't realize what they saw. Or perhaps simply don't share the information. But Dan here seems quite convinced of what he saw and he delivered a great description. And I can safely say I can think of no other known organism that would be mistaken for that creature. There are no primates on the Hawaiian Islands, no monkeys or apes that he could have misidentified. Unless, of course, there was an escaped pet or something. But, as you heard, Dan actually asked for my opinion. So here that goes. Now, while these claims seem to be, at least on surface level based in folklore only. There is some evidence of these beings existing at one point or another. The structures that Dan and the Finding Bigfoot clip mentioned, for example. And it's been my experience that most folklore begins with some sort of nugget of truth. A small detail that was once true but has now been embellished, to the point that the original tale is now unrecognizable. So, armed with that knowledge, I have to wonder if this legend doesn't stem from something similar. An ancient story that was once true now seems far-fetched. 
This entire story reminds me of a monumental scientific discovery made some 20 years ago that not only changed human history, but could be the root of the Menehune mystery as well. How many of you remember the hobbits of the island of Flores? Flores, Indonesia, 2003. Archaeologists conducting excavations within the dark recesses of the Lianghua Cave uncover the skeletal remains of a primitive human. Oddly, the bones appear to belong to an adult less than four feet tall. And genetic analysis reveals that the person's short stature was not due to deformity. Remarkably, this individual belonged to a previously unknown species of miniature humans that lived 60,000 years ago. After further study, the newly discovered species of miniature humans was given the name Homo floresiensis, after the Isle of Flores on which it was discovered. Now that clip courtesy of History's The Unexplained with Mr. William Shatner. Now here's where things get a bit interesting. The Isle of Flores in Indonesia is an island not accessible by land now or at any point in its existence. So it's a bit of a mystery as to how these tiny humans came to inhabit this dangerous swatch of land. And it suggests that they had the capability to cross deep open water. Well, as it turns out, Hawaii too is a remote island, never once part of any other landmass. So could it be possible that these hobbit hominins also reached as far as the Hawaiian Islands? And if so, could they have encountered the native peoples of those islands, causing folklore to spread of this tiny clandestine cousin? Folklore that spread verbally for generations, and that eventually morphed into the legend and origin story of today's Menahune. Now, of course, that doesn't exactly explain the mystery buildings, or how Dan was able to see one in modern times. But if I were to select a yarn to pull, just to see where it leads... Nine times out of ten, that's the thread I choose. And maybe they're still down there, surviving in small numbers in remote places on the islands, if we're to believe that an eight-foot hairy giant survives in the forests of the U.S. mainland, then we certainly have to entertain the concept of a miniature version living in our distant islands as well. Well, it's great stuff, Dan, and thank you for calling in with the entry. Really making me want to get down there. Now, folks, if you have a tale to tell, a true tale, call our hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-NIGHT. Or record your entry on your phone and email it to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, if you will, let's head on over to that state up north. JR, welcome to the show. Hi, Derek. My name is JR. I live in a small town in uh, northern Michigan called Charlevoix. And we're like based on Lake Michigan. And we're like uh, 50 miles south of the uh, Mackinac Bridge. Anyways, the story happened in 2016. It was in August and I was just leaving work. And I just happened to walk across the street going to my car. And I heard this like this military helicopter coming, coming along. I kind of like looked up. It's like no big deal. We have like Camp Grayling about 60 miles away from us. It's no big deal. And we have uh, the Coast Guard Station 50 miles south of us, the Traverse City. Anyway, so I'm walking across and I'm looking up and I see this like totally black chopper. It's basically a chopper. And I'm looking at the pilot. He's like totally intent on what's going on in front of him. (laughs) I didn't pay any mind to it. So I'm going across to get to my car. And I look back up. And probably about maybe 100 feet in front of them were three orange orbs. Totally unbelievable. It's like, oh, my God. It's like, what the heck is that? And it looked like he was, like, escorting them away from the town, heading towards, like, Michigan, towards the west. And I'm, like, totally freaking out. I'm, like, going, holy cow, what the heck is that? So I'm, like, watching them go. Basically, the the chopper was, like, almost tree level. It was really low. So it started heading out towards the west, and I just happened to live t- towards the west of Charlevoix. So I get in my car, 
and I drive home and it's it, it's still gone. And I came inside and I go to Marv. I'm like, hey, did you see anything? Did you hear anything? And she was kind of like, well, I heard like a, a military chopper come along. And I'm like, oh my God. It's like, I told her about it. So I got on Facebook that night and asked around. And everybody's like, no, no, no. We just saw three military choppers go by. And so one of my friends from the city, probably about 20 miles away, said, yeah, I saw it. I'm like, oh, cool, thank you. At least somebody could confirm my sighting. And so I actually reported it with uh, Peter Davenport at the National UFO Center on February 6, 17. Anyway, flash forward to last year, I'm outside again, just sitting out there enjoying the summer breeze and saw another military helicopter going by. And I look up and there's like two in front of it. And they're escorting them back out of, out, of, out of the town area. And I'm standing there like, oh, my God, it's crazy. What, it's like, what the heck is going on with these orbs? Two days later, we're back outside. There's like two more orbs in the sky without a helicopter. So I brought my wife and my daughter out to check it out. They're like, oh, my. It's like, wow, this is crazy. And they're like watching, we watching these orbs in the sky move around a little bit, and all of a sudden it's totally blinked out. Phenomenal. I have, a, I have a lot more stories to tell you, but this is like totally the first hands-on thing. It's like I've seen like the triangles and whatnot, and the weird lights in the sky doing weird things, but this just totally blew me away. Especially, it looked like the fact that that uh, the chopper was like a uh, escorting these things. It was just like, okay, move along. Here we go. Let's go. You got to get out of here. You got to get out of this area. And one of my friends actually saw it too. A couple of other people I talked to are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we saw three helicopters up there. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's totally different. Anyways, buddy, it's taken me a long time to report this. I love your show. Doing a great job. And I love the platform. Thanks, JR. You know, JR's experience wasn't the military's only run-in with something unidentified up in that area. Back in February of this year, the military shot down a series of unidentified, unauthorized objects, including one in JR's backyard. We are learning more about the third flying object shot down by the U.S. military in as many days. This is the latest one happening early this afternoon over Lake Huron. NORAD issuing this order, briefly closing the airspace over Lake Michigan as that object made its way across Wisconsin and then Michigan. It was first spotted yesterday over Montana, although authorities had said it was not a threat. Well, today's object was shot down over northern Lake Huron, and yesterday one was shot down over Canada's Yukon Territory, and on Friday one was shot down off the coast of Alaska. Authorities saying that all of these are not at all like the Chinese spy balloon, which was shot down a week ago over the Atlantic. These new items are apparently much smaller. The one shot down today was described as octagonal in nature and was traveling at about 20,000 feet, and that is much lower than the other objects that were flying yesterday and on Friday. All of them were unmanned, and it is not clear exactly who they belong to. That clip courtesy of ABC News 7 out of Chicago. And while it's interesting and fun to postulate that what was shot down only 50 or 60 miles east of JR's location is a craft from a distant planet, but in reality it was likely some sort of weather balloon apparatus. Or at least that's what the government is telling us. But anyone that follows ufology can tell you that the Great Lakes State is accustomed to all sorts of strange aerial activity. Reports in that area are abundant, as JR here can attest. So thank you again, sir, for sharing the entry. And do me a favor and keep your eyes open up there. And if you do see it again, shoot some footage. Let's get a look at this thing. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. There are times in life when we reach a crossroads or encounter a tough decision, and the right path forward isn't always crystal clear. Now, whether you're dealing with decisions surrounding your career, your family and relationships, or something completely unique to you, therapy can help you stay connected to what's important, you and your well-being. And it can help you discover what you really want and what you really need out of life. 
therapy has helped simplify my decision-making process. I've found that the more time I take to check in with myself and talk things out, the easier it gets to trust myself that the decisions I've made are in my best interest. Just another way to take control of your own life. Now, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, which makes it convenient, flexible, and affordable. And if for some reason you aren't vibing with the therapist you're matched with, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your roadmap with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot forward slash Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to those scratches on your front door. Now, this next call was submitted out of the state of Oklahoma. We get some good ones from that area. Let's find out what Wade has for us this evening. Hi, uh, I just recently found your podcast a few months ago, and I'm a huge fan. Anyway, my name's Wade. I live in southeastern Oklahoma in a town called Wilberton. We have lots of stories around here. Some bunch of stuff has happened to me and my family, and uh, just like everybody else. But this is the only thing kind of paranormal that's ever happened to me. And I wanted to know if some of the other viewers may have been, went through something like this, too. We used to live in a, a home. It was a fairly old home. It was my grandma and grandpa's house. It actually used to have dirt floors, and they installed wood floors in it. And Anyway, we lived there for a long time. Um, we moved in there, us four boys and my mom and dad, with my aunt and uncle after my uncle passed. We moved in there to, you know, so my aunt wouldn't be alone. And uh, there was a room that we called the hole. And we just called it the hole because it was a cool name. It was actually just the boys' room. There was a couple of big beds in there that we all just crashed in. And the way the house is laid out, you go through the front door, and you're in the living room. And you can see all the way to the back of the house to the back exit. You go through the living room. There's a doorway into the kitchen, and then you're in the mudroom after the kitchen, and the entrance to the hole to the boys' room is on the right. Anyway, I lived there until I got married when I was 20 and moved into our own apartment, and this was 15 years ago, and uh, about a year after I was married, so 14 years ago, I had left some stuff there, and everybody had moved out of the house. By this time, it was pretty dilapidated, um, the roof started falling in, and instead of fixing the house up, it was cheaper for everybody just to move out. And uh, all of us boys got married in the same year, so there was none of us left there. So it was just my parents and my aunt, and they moved out to a nicer house, and so nobody was there to keep the house up. So it started dilapidating, and people started breaking into it. My mom and dad let me know that uh, it was starting to get vandalized, and that if I had anything in there that I wanted to go get. I needed to go get it because they were going to, you know, schedule to have it bulldozed over, which is sad because that was my childhood home, you know, and my grandma and grandpa's home. But anyway, that's beside the point. So the first time I, I went there, you know, there's nothing scary about this house. Again, I grew up here. I opened the door. I walked through the living room. I get to the kitchen, and then I don't know how else to explain it, but just a real heavy feeling, like you're being weighed down soon as I got to the kitchen and it just got heavier the more I walked forward it was just like a feeling of I don't know just a heavy feeling I got all the way through the kitchen almost to the mudroom almost to that door and it felt like something was being put around my throat like I was being choked physically not like dust or anything but choked actually choked but there was nothing there like I didn't see anything or anything like that so I didn't see any ghosts or anything, but it was just this feeling. And uh, so I left, you know, the hair on the back of my neck was raised and I just had a really bad feeling, so I left. And uh, I thought maybe maybe somebody was there, you know, since maybe a vandal was there, I don't know. And uh, I left, so I tried again about a week later, same thing happened. And the third time I went there, I go all the way through the kitchen and onto the mudroom, I make myself go, same exact feeling. And I actually make myself reach out for the door to the hole. And I don't even get to touch it. 
I closed my eyes and I was being choked so bad. It scared me. I'm not just talking about it, man. I'm sorry. I closed my eyes and I opened them and I'm outside at the front door with my hand on the doorknob and I don't know how I got there. And uh, I was so scared. Basically, that was the last time I went by myself. And so I just never went back again until my brother said that they were going to go over there, all three of my brothers, that they were going to go through there and do a walkthrough, make sure they didn't leave anything. I want to go over there and basically say bye to the house. And I didn't tell them anything, anybody what happened to me. So I decided, oh, yeah, I'll go over there, I, you know, just to get my stuff and get. So this was the opportunity. Either they were going to go through what I went through, and I wasn't going to be alone anymore. Or, you know, I was going to get my stuff. And all four of his brothers went there, no bad feeling. Walking through our old home, grabbed my stuff out of the hole. The hole looked great. You know, grabbed all the old stuff that I wanted to take with me, and that was it. It got bulldozed over. House is gone. And uh, I don't know, man. It's just a really bad time. And uh, I don't know what, how to explain it. I'm just kind of hoping that maybe some of the listeners have been through something like that before. And uh, they can kind of give their two cents on it. Or maybe you, and I sure appreciate you taking my call. Also, we're a real religious family, and uh, we don't believe in ghosts um, in a traditional sense. I believe in demons. I think they're everywhere. I think that they only inform their entertainment to mess with us. I know a lot of people don't agree with me, uh, but that's just the way I feel. Um, I do believe in cryptids. I will try to remember some pretty amazing stories about me and my family and dealing with cryptids but uh thanks for taking my call i really enjoy your podcast and it gets me through the day i'm a janitor at a pretty demonically active building here in northern oklahoma and i'll have some stories to share but thank you bye thank you wade sounds like that's a difficult story to tell well everyone you heard the man do you have any advice for Wade? Smudging with sage, inviting clergy over to say a prayer, or possibly just talking it out with the presence. To continue that discussion and weigh in yourself, hit up one of our social media accounts at Instagram or Facebook, and there's also the Facebook group. Or I suppose if you're feeling randy, head on over to YouTube and hit us up in the comments section. Either way, thank you again, Wade, for sharing the entry and as difficult as it might have been to see the house be raised. At the very least, you know, you'll never have to go back in there alone again. Listen, people, there's no better time than now to visit our merchandise shop and pick up some MAU gear. We are fully stocked on most items. Our shipping is fast and cheap, and all proceeds go directly to the show. No third parties sucking up a majority of the profits. Every penny you spend on merchandise goes to support the show and its growth. So instead of delivering my used car salesman pitch, I'll just say, visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com, click the shop tab, and get something gnarly for yourself today. Now, who's ready for a BHM? A big hairy monster. Carissa from the PNW. Welcome to the program. Hey Derek, my name is Carissa. I'm calling from the Pacific Northwest. I am calling about something that happened to me or that I witnessed actually right around the time when I started listening to your podcast. So immediately when it happened, I thought about calling in, but it's taken me a few years to work up the nerve. Anyways, my husband and I are avid campers. We were camping out on the Olympic Peninsula in Olympic National Park, and we sleep in a roof tent on top of my car when we're in designated campgrounds. So in the middle of the night, I woke up, and I thought I was waking up in a dream or that I was still dreaming, and I was hearing really lovely owl noises like owl as in the bird and thought I was hearing these owl noises and woke up actually smiling which 
I'm a person who has nightmares, so that wasn't very typical for me to wake up, like, feeling happy. So I woke up in this dream, thought I was hearing owls, and then realized, not in a scary way, but just realized that the sound I was hearing was more of, like, a whooping-type sound. And then if I was laying horizontally, like, in the tent on the roof, I could hear one whoop happening like right in front of me and then I heard one right behind me and then I heard a third one over to my right side and that was kind of the one where I was like, oh, this is not a dream or an owl. This is definitely some sort of animal and I heard all three and it was kind of triangulated and that's kind of it. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything else. They just carried on for a couple minutes and... I tried to wake my partner up, but he didn't catch it. My dog, who was in the car, didn't catch it or freak out. Definitely one of those things where I was like, is this something that I made up in my head? But I haven't been able to stop thinking about it for years at this point. So I think it really happened. I think where I am, this would be the place, I guess. Anyways, love the podcast. Thank you. As an avid camper, I can easily put myself in your shoes, Carissa. And what an eerily exciting concept. Now, I'm sure a million thoughts went through your head, but none so prevalent as, is this an owl? And if it's not an owl, what the hell is it? And we all know what owls sound like. But not all of us know what an alleged Bigfoot sounds like. But thanks to Ron Moorhead and Al Berry and their 1970s-era recordings... We just might have an idea. Here are vocalizations categorized as whoops, recorded in the infamous Sierra Sounds, allegedly made by an upright hairy creature. Now, just for clarification, the second voice you hear in this clip is the men mimicking the strange sounds. Now, imagine you're in your tent at night. Maybe you're all bundled up in your sleeping bag. The campfire slowly dying outside. And you hear a slight sound. Perhaps a twig snap. Then the crickets stop. Then comes the sound on all sides of the tent. Now that's my kind of outing. Big thanks, Carissa, for sharing the story. I always enjoy a big, hairy monster tale. Now our next entry takes us to the land of Lincoln. Zelda, welcome to the show. Hi there, it's Zelda from Chicago, and I have a friendly ghost story. When I was a child, once a month, my mom would pack my brothers and I up into a car to visit my great aunt. It was about a 45-minute ride in the car, but I loved going because my great aunt was a weird hippie vegetarian lady who did yoga naked in her backyard. She never married and had like eight cats, so she was like my superhero. I always knew we were getting close to her house because my mom would point out this blue Victorian farmhouse with moon and star decorative facade around the windows and on the roof. My mom loves the witchy moon star aesthetic, so she naturally would always talk about this one house. My great aunt owned two houses that were next to one another on a small lake. One a newly built log cabin style home, and the other a late 1800s cottage with a big yard. My mom went through a divorce and decided to buy my aunt's cottage, and since she lived next door and could help with caring for my brothers and I. The cottage house is only like a one-story house and is very small. If you open the front door, you could see like straight through the back door. It was a very open concept cottage. There's also a very tiny cellar with a dirt floor under the house. I'm 5'11", and as like a tween, I was still too tall to stand upright in the basement. I believe I've only been in there once because it had like a really weird, scary feel to it. I started school in the fall, and my school was near 
the blue house with the moon and stars. And my mom would always say, I love that house, even though she was just driving me to school. It's like, we live here. You don't need to point that house out every day. So the same fall that we had moved into the cottage, my mom started working in the yard and preparing places for gardens and cleaning up the yard. And it was just, it was mainly just crabgrass, but she was just like obsessed with like fixing the yard because it was barren. There was a left side to the yard and there was a, like the right was part of my aunt's house. And behind my house, there was a small marshy lake. So while cleaning up the yard, my mom found a wedding band or some kind of engagement ring, a really important ring. And there was an inscription with the last name of Cooper. My mom recognized the name from my school orientation and had recognized it as our lunch lady. Our lunch lady was Mrs. Cooper. And since it was a small town, everyone is pretty much related. I went to school with kids of the founder of the town kind of thing. So it was a very small, close-knit community. My mom called Mrs. Cooper, our lunch lady, and it turned out it was her great-grandmother's ring. Her great-grandmother used to live in my house. My mom arranged for a time to like return the ring, and I went with, and lunch lady Cooper lived in the blue house with the moon and the stars that my mom loved so much. I remember there was a lot of adults crying out of joy and just returning this ring, and my mom being really freaked out that that was Mrs. Cooper's house. The next spring, our yard erupted with flowers my mom didn't plant and that my aunt had never seen before on the property. In summer, my mom would get these weird feelings to go places or call people. She would always talk about this ring. And one day, we specifically went to my mom's hometown to go swimming. And she ran into one of her high school pals that she hadn't seen in a few years and was introduced to his wife. She had to tell them about the ring. It was his wife's family that she returned the ring to. So they had this weird connection. And weird things like that happened all summer. It was very strange that summer, if we left windows open and it rained, the windows would be shut. When we came home, if my mom like lost her keys or something, the doors would magically be unlocked. Or if she forgot to lock the door, they would lock. Just weird things like that, like the cats would get inside when they needed to get inside, or just odd things. My mom always said that it was Grandma watching out for us, protecting us, Grandma Cooper. We never shut the doors in summer. We had screen doors because we lived out in the sticks and just didn't really need to really worry about anything. But the doors would open sometimes or shut just bizarrely, and just small things in weird places, weird noises. There was always a weird presence in the house, but I always felt pretty safe because I just believed that this ghost grandma was looking out for me and my family. And my mom still lives there, and weird things just still happen, just not as frequently. My brothers and I have moved out since then, and my mom doesn't really need a ghostly helper as much anymore, but I like to think that grandma still takes care of her. Thanks for doing the podcast. Have a great day. Thank you, Zelda. You know, I found a gold wedding band just the other day. I was moving some dirt around that was washed out during this past winter's blizzard, and I saw a little golden circle protruding from the sandy dirt. I was moving some of those paver stones back and forth, and I would see it each time I passed by. Now, after seeing this circle 20, 30, maybe 40 times, I finally decided to stop and pick it up. And to my surprise... It was a men's size 12, 14 karat gold wedding band, thin as paper and slightly shaved on one side. Likely a victim of my snow shovel this past winter, or perhaps the hoe and shovel in the spring. Now I posted a couple pictures up in the show notes if you're curious, and I think the ring is quite old, so finding its owners likely only possible with a Ouija board or a spirit box, but man would it be cool to do so and I bet whoever lost it was devastated. Which makes me thankful that Zelda's family was able to return the item that they found. I love the story, Zelda, so thank you again for sharing the entry and giving me the excuse to talk about the tiny treasure that I'd found. Well, folks, here we are. The end of the line for any casual listener. And tonight's finale focuses on a topic seldom breached here on the program. For more on that, please welcome Remy from Colorado to the program. Hey Derek, my name is Remy. I'm a college student and I'm from Colorado. I've grown up in Colorado my whole life. One thing to know about me is that I'm an avid hiker. 
And especially during the pandemic year in 2020, when it was all starting, I fell into a severe depression. So to combat this, I went hiking every day, sometimes twice a day. And on this particular day, I went along Seven Bridges Trail in Colorado Springs. I love this trail. I go on it all the time. And if you know this trail, it's about an hour long. I took my dog with me. Her name is Marin, and she's very good at staying by my side. But at this t- certain time, she was acting different, and it, you know, it, it gets me nervous talking about it now, but she seemed very lethargic and did a lot of barking, more than usual. You know, she was a barker, but you could tell something was not right. So... My usual route on this hike is I go up to the seventh bridge, come back down, and I turn right to finish up the trail, or I go a little farther. And today was one of those days where, because of my severe depression, I was crying a lot, and I just needed to be outside for a good portion of the day. So I went past the route I usually do and ended up between these large pine trees, which isn't uncommon for Colorado, but... Uh, Marin was ahead of me, so she started sniffing. You know, I didn't know what she was sniffing, so I caught up to her, and it looked like blood droplets. It looked like they had been there for a bit. And, you know, of course, I was a little spooked, but I thought maybe there's a mountain lion in the area. So I wanted to get Marin. You know, I called her. I wanted to head back, but... She kept on going back to the trail sniffing, so I had no choice but to follow her. And then this is where she ventured off in the woods. There were a lot of leaves on the ground because it was fall time. And then, you know, the trees were so large that it kind of blocked out the sun a bit, so it made it a little bit more eerie. And I kept calling her, you know, Marin, come here, but she didn't come. And... Suddenly, Marin started barking, and to kind of comfort myself, I said, there's nothing there, girl, we gotta go. Because I thought there was a mountain lion. I was, I was a little spooked. But I didn't think of anything paranormal just yet. But I looked where Marin was standing, and her front paws were in the middle of a salt circle. And if you don't know what a salt circle is, maybe some of your viewers don't. I'm sure they do. But it's something that witches use. I mean, I'm not very familiar with it, but I guess it's to keep bad omens away, bad spirits. So this scared the hell out of me. And I believe in witches and Wicca. You know, I know that there are witches in the world. And if you don't know, Manitou Springs which is very close to Colorado Springs, is known for witchcraft and Wiccan. And as a Christian, I believe in the supernatural. I definitely thought I ventured into something creepy, ritualistic place. So at this point, my heart was beating a bit. I grabbed Mary's collar and I just tried to drag her out of there, but she just would not budge. Even if I pushed her weight trying to get her out, she just wouldn't move. And Marin, I feel this is an important part of the story. She's a Gordon Setter. And if you're not familiar with those dogs, they've originated from Scotland. And they're part of the Setter group. And they're, so there's Irish Setters, English Setters, and then there's Gordon Setters. They're black and tan. And they're hunting dogs. And they have a special hunting technique, I guess, where they do something called a point. And they point at something that they're trying to catch. So it could be like a rabbit, a squirrel. They're good at catching birds, like pheasants. But Marin started doing that at this pine tree. And at this point, after seeing the salt circle, I was really creeped out. So my heart started beating. And Marin, she's very protective. And she started growling. And I looked over at the tree, and I didn't see anything. So I looked around, and I found a big hole at the foot of this tree with a pagan necklace in the dirt. And I wish I had the images for it, but 
it spooked me out too much. I didn't want to stay there. So, of course, that was the last straw. And I said, okay, Marin, we have to go. At this point, I was getting so scared that I yanked Marin by the leash. And she was so, you know, adamant on whatever she was sensing that I was choking her as I was trying to drag her out of there. And we finally got back on the trail. And my heart was just beating. My blood was hot. But that's when I really got creeped out. I heard children laughing, and Marin was already sensing something, so I knew this was a situation I had to get away from. And this is where it's important to tell you on Gold Camp Road, which is the dirt road you can take to head up to Seven Bridges, there is a tunnel that you have to pass through, and I don't know much about it, but apparently there was an accident there with the bus driver and school kids, and people say that they can hear laughing in the tunnels. I don't know if this was connected to that story, but this really creeped me out. And there's definitely witches in the woods in Colorado. So because of that, I've never gone back on that specific trail. But thank you so much, Derek. And this gives me like chills talking about, but I really appreciate your show and I hope you use this. Bye. Thanks, Remy. Now let me start off this commentary by saying that all religions look strange and unusual from the outside. And yes, even yours. So we'll try to keep this as neutral and non-judgmental as possible. While still trying to hold on to a little bit of that creep factor. So let me start by saying, Remy is right. It appears as though Manitou Springs is some sort of Wiccan hotbed. Or at least, so it seems. My assistant, Delaney, managed to dig up an interesting article from the Colorado Sun that questions the town's reputation as the Wiccan capital of the West. I've linked to that entire article in the show notes, but it certainly questions that connection. But I did manage to dig up another connection between Manitou Springs and strange religious practices. The following clip originally aired on KRDO, News Channel 13, out of Colorado Springs, and just might shed some light on the darker practices taking place in that area. We know it as an eclectic, touristy stop west of Colorado Springs, but behind its small-town charm, a filmmaker says Manitou Springs is hiding a secret, spooky history. I have heard that there's been some ghost activity. There was Satan's Satanists in the 80s before my time here. That's right, Satanists. Manitou Springs was known as the devil-worshipping capital of the Western world. Summer Moore says this was in the 80s during the so-called satanic panic. Parents were scared that their kids would fall into devil-worshipping. She's taken people's accounts of devil-worshipping activity right here in Manitou Springs and turned it into a movie. You can rest easy now. I don't think that there's satanic activity, and if there is, it's under wraps. It's been a long time since we've heard any of that, so we're glad that it's kind of dissipated. Now, before you go clutching your pearls and grabbing your pitchforks, it seems this film that actress, writer, and director Summer Moore created is a work of fiction, inspired by the -the turn-of-the-century classic, The Blair Witch Project. Now, I've linked to the trailer in tonight's show notes, which can be found by clicking the tab at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com. Deep dives on this topic and many others discussed this evening can be found over there. But I think this might be another place that's feeling the effects of its local folklore. Accurate or not. But it never hurts to be careful. So good call on turning around, Remy. Who needs that when they're trying to clear their mind? Thank you again for submitting the entry, and a big thanks to you, dear listener, for joining us on this little journey. Because that's going to do it for this episode. But as always, stick around after the credits for some bonus content. But don't tell anyone. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright, Red Crow Media. Additional support was provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you enjoy the show, please consider following us on social media. 
And while you're online, please give us a like, review, and maybe a comment over at YouTube. And also a rate and review wherever that sort of thing is possible. That sort of support goes a long, long way to help the show grow. Don't forget you can catch back episodes of Monsters Among Us on Sundown 96.6, a 24-7 spooky radio station. Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Or at 11 p.m. Eastern on Saturday over at the Unexed Network. Finally, tonight's music was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey and White Bat Audio. Thank you all for listening. Keep cool out there. I'll catch you next week. Have a good night. Tonight's top secret entry is an odd one from New England. Andrew in Connecticut. Go ahead with your entry. Hello, Derek. This is Andrew. I'm calling from Hartford, Connecticut. So this happened in the early 80s. I was around 12. My father had an uncle. Uncle George was his name. And the, uh, the poor guy, he, you know, you know, did pretty well financially, but then he became, you know, a lifelong alcoholic, you know, lost all his money gambling. He was pretty much on, you know, his deathbed, and he moved in with us, you know, to, to basically spend the rest days of his life. He had some major health problems. So he decided to stop drinking cold turkey, and that led to him having these hallucinations. So often we would hear him in the middle of the night screaming and things like that. And there was one night that he was screaming, and I was, you know, and it really scared me. So I went into the room, and then he told me, he was like, the devil was in my room. He's like, the devil was in my room. And I was like, well, what did you see? And he's like, there was this black cloud of smoke with a red eye in the middle. And he said it was floating on the ceiling. And, you know, of course, I didn't see anything. I didn't think anything of it. I thought it's just this, the alcohol, him detoxing, and he's just seeing things. And then he, he did pass away not long after that. And a few weeks later, this was our guest room. We had another relative that was going to be moving in with us, and there was a light out in the ceiling, uh, the ceiling fan in the guest room. And so I went up there to change the light, and then all around the ceiling fan, and on the ceiling, there was this black suit that looked like it was from smoke. You know, nobody smoked in there. You know, it wasn't dust. It clearly was like this charcoal-like suit, like almost like there had been some type of smoke in there. So then that made me think, did he really, you know, see this black cloud and, and was it really the devil? He claims when he saw it, he said he, he did the sign of the cross and then he said it disappeared. So that's my story. I love the show. Um, keep them coming, especially days where I have long car rides. I can't even tell you how great it is to listen to all these wonderful stories. Thanks a lot, Eric. Take care. Thank you, Andrew. Well, dear listener, what do you think? Some sort of ethereal creature, or hallucinations from a sick old man. If you claim the latter, how exactly would you explain the black soot? And if you claim the former, what was it? Great story, Andrew, and we certainly appreciate the thought-provoking entry. Now, buckle up, because where we're going, we have more ghosts, little people, UFOs, and a whole lot more here on tonight's Beyond. If you'd like to join us this evening, you can do so for free by signing up for Patreon's free seven-day trial. So go ahead and sign up. Get all the MAUB bonus material you can get your hands on in the next seven days. And simply cancel. I guess I'm cool with that. But if you like what you hear, maybe stick around for a month or two. Just long enough to absorb an entire back catalog. Simply visit patreon.com 
then search for Monsters Among Us Podcast. Sign up for the $1 level to get ad-free content, and the $5 level for bonus content. Exactly like what you're about to hear. Now, for those of you that caught last week's grab bag episode, this next caller is Caitlin's father. Caitlin submitted an entry about a time slip that she had while driving from Indiana to Tennessee. Well, here's the other side of that experience, as told by her father, Paul, out of the state of Ohio. Hi, Derek. My name is Paul. I'm from Cincinnati River Valley area, southern Ohio. I've turned a bunch of my friends and stuff onto your show and family, and recently my daughter called in about a missing time episode that she experienced. And, you know, I just wanted to confirm that I was indeed two hours behind her. Her name is Kaylin. We were on on our way out to see my youngest daughter, who was having her first child. I mean, I was driving from Ohio, she was driving from Indiana, and we were heading out to Chattanooga, Tennessee, to see my daughter and meet my granddaughter. My daughter was two hours ahead of me. We confirmed that at the beginning of the trip. When I left, I called her, and she was two hours ahead of me. We were both following Google Maps. 